Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let me go, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week three in the books. Uh, how are you feeling? Interesting weekend of games. One way to put it, yeah, really interesting weekend. Probably the best weekend of, or, or worst, depending on which team you were, uh, weekend of college football we've had so far in the ACC. I will say that while there's going to be plenty of coastal chaos, I'm not to convince there won't be any Atlantic chaos either. Yeah. Could be some of that. Yeah. We we have a lot that we need to get into on this podcast, Mike. So let's just dive right in. Let's start from Friday night where we saw Louisville defeat UCF 42 to 35. This was a wild, fun game, Mike. Um, And it it was funny because it happened at the same time as Maryland, Illinois. And I had to recap or had to remark at one point like, I cannot imagine being someone who sat there and watched Maryland and Illinois combine for six points in the first half instead of watching the roller coaster of this game between Louisville and UCF. Louisville starts out slow. Uh, UCF gets out to an early lead. And then I thought at that point you really saw a pretty great game being called by Scott Satterfield. Um, Louisville starts really getting a lot. They get rolling on offense, um, take a lead in the third quarter. You saw an injury to Malik Cunningham, uh, like a mild injury, I guess. I don't know if it was cramping or if it was like a hamstring, something, but he was like limping around the field. They they compared it on the broadcast to B- the Byron Leftwich situation at Marshall, which, I mean, that was a broken leg, so let's not go that far with it. I was going to say, a <laughs> little bit different. Um, but this was, this was crazy. Louisville has the ball. Uh, the game is tied at 35, and Louisville's trying to get in position for a field goal to win the game. Uh, Cunningham gets blitzed, uh, kind of throws a pass off his back foot. It's tipped up in the air by a defensive lineman, and then that same lineman catches it for UCF for an interception. UCF comes out with about 40 seconds left. First play right off the chest of a UCF receiver into the arms of a Louisville defender who runs it all the way back for a touchdown. Louisville wins the game. Wild finish. I can't say I've ever seen that before on back-to-back plays, having interceptions in a late-game situation like that, but... Um, I thought this was a really good win for Louisville. This was really something that you could build on if you're Scott Satterfield and that crew. A needed win for Louisville is mm-hmm. what this was. A needed win. Um, th- this was one of those games where, and and look, I was at a baseball game. I was at a minor league baseball game Friday night. So, Joey, you're texting me feverishly. <laughs> you and Scott, by the way, texting me feverishly about this game, thinking I'm dead or asleep or something. Yeah, I, I was um, convinced you were like passed out on a couch somewhere. Yeah, I I wouldn't pass me, um, but you know, I came, I came home and, and you guys are texting me and I had seen the final score of course, and I had recorded it on uh, YouTube TV. So then about an hour after the game actually ended, 
I am re-watching this game and texting you guys where I'm at. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a trick play. There's a double pass. Joey, you text me back and you say, which one? I'm like, oh my God, what did I miss tonight? <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I went and I, and I watched the rest of the second half. Obviously, the ending was insane. Um, you know, seeing that it was 35-35, seeing that UCF had the ball with like a minute to go. Joey, I sent you a text message and I said, okay, here's where I'm at. I'm guessing this is where it gets weird. And you said, yep, this is where it gets weird. And I, I see the interception happen um, from Cunningham, th- you know, throwing the pick to UCF. And I see Dylan Gabriel on the very next play having a pass that should have been caught, by the way, get intercepted and run back 66 yards for a touchdown uh, by Jalen Alderman. And I'm like, oh my God, look at Louisville. Um, and, and then on top of that, we have Dylan Gabriel you know, cause there was about 13 seconds left on the clock. We have Dylan Gabriel get the ball back and UCF has run pitchy, pitchy woo as Scott Van Pelt would call it. Mm-hmm. And he drops back to throw and he gets hit on this very last play of the game hit as he throws and gets buried into the ground and breaks his collarbone, Joey. Yep. So he, he's played an entire game. This is going to be like you mentioned this before we hit record. This is going to be really important. We need to make sure we mention this. Dylan Gabriel plays an entire football game. And on a final play in which UCF has about, I don't know, a one to two percent chance of actually winning this football game at this point. Um, that's when Dylan Gabriel gets hurt. And he's probably lost for the year. He's at least going to be lost for an indefinite uh, indefinite period of time, UCF is saying, as he undergoes surgery to repair his broken collarbone. Uh, but as far as trajectory of UCF season, that last play that, you know, had a very small percentage chance of actually working to put UCF in the end zone to try to tie this game against Louisville, could it cost UCF probably three or four games um, very of well wins? Good. Yeah. And um, maybe more than that, depending on what their backup quarterback situation is. That's a catastrophic injury for UCF. And UCF's record now could be in in jeopardy, (laughs) will be in jeopardy, I would assume. Um, But uh, back to Louisville side, this is a huge win. Um, We saw a little bit of good. We we saw a lot of good, actually, from Malik Cunningham. We saw a little bit of inconsistency still. But overall, you know, for for Louisville to fall behind early and then to crawl back, um, to to have the lead at halftime and and to come out and just kind of go back and forth in the second half, have – things go against you, you know, in the fourth quarter and to still find a way to pull that game out and win. Is there a little bit of turnover luck going back to back there at the end? Sure there is. Um, But Louisville deserved to win that game every bit as much as UCF did. And that is a gigantic win for Scott Satterfield. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked about how iffy Louisville looked in the opener against Ole Miss um, and, and how this, you know, the rest of the month of September was going to be pretty telling for Louisville as far as what this team was going to potentially do down the line here in conference play. And they really needed this win. And this is a gigantic, gigantic win for Scott Satterfield and his staff. I think Louisville now can obviously take this win and, and run with it a little bit. Yep. And um, they, they really needed it. It came at a really crucial time. And to come up with that interception it could change the outcome potentially of Louisville season. I don't want to put it all in one play, but it has a potential to really change the way things go for Louisville from a perception standpoint from here on out. Well, and it wasn't just one play. I mean, they, they, they played that game in a position in a way that they had themselves in position to, to win yep. that game on one play, you know, 
Um, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned turnover luck because, like, these two teams played 59 minutes and didn't turn the ball over at all. And then <laughs> in in the final minute, they both turned it over, and that was kind of back to back plays. Yeah, I mean that was it was wild. Um, a couple things I, I wanted to point out was first of all, I, I really liked Louisville's defensive game plan here as well. I, I mean, I realize you gave up 35 points and all that, but like some of what you saw I thought was really interesting where they, they basically used a whole bunch of three man pressures and, and they just dropped everybody else back. And what it resulted in was Dylan Gabriel just checking down constantly. You know, they, they did not allow UCF to, to break off a whole lot of explosive passing plays. Um, I mean, Gabriel finishes this game 22 of 29 for 184 yards, like, you know, less than seven yards per attempt. I mean, that is way down for him and what he he normally would do and what this offense is capable of. So really good game plan from Brian Brown on the, in this Louisville defense. Um, and, and the other thing that I thought that was interesting that they did was Louisville was doing a thing to slow down UCF's offense where UCF was like running tempo, but also trying to like substitute almost every right. play. Right. And every time UCF subbed, Louisville was rotating their defensive tackles. Yep. So and they were taking their time doing it. So it was like you you weren't letting UCF get really up tempo, get you know really get moving. Um, I, I thought it was a really smart play. That's that's well within the rules. Is, is if the offense gets a sub, so does the defense, and, and they use that Can't to their snap advantage. It. Cannot snap it until you let them sub. That's the exactly defensive right. Side. Exactly Ref stands right. over the ball. It's really annoying. We all scream at him. What are you doing? What are you doing? Let him snap it. Yeah, they <laughs> they get the sub too. That's right. That's right. So yeah, this was a really fun game. Um, I mean, it co- combined over 900 yards. Um, you know, just seventy some. You know, seventy seven points. I think it is like my overbet hit. Overbet hit. Yep, that's right. Um, this was everything you wanted from it, and, and it was good. And it was really good to see Louisville come out and do this. And Mike, I think one of the things that we're going to see is like a, a theme as we go through with some of these teams is like, I, I wish I had like a sound effect or something or like a little drop I could play here of basically Eminem, you know, with a real Slim Shady, please stand up, that whole thing. Like some of these teams, like we have seen some wildly different performances from them over just three weeks. Like, yeah. and Louisville's one of them. I mean, they looked bad and lifeless and everything in that first half, especially against Ole Miss. I think they finally got something going in the second half as Ole Miss started to back off a little bit. This is this was a much better team that I saw on Friday night. Like, so I don't know was this the fluke or was Labor Day night the fluke? I don't right. know. And I think I think too we're we're running into some, especially in some of the bigger games where like the college atmosphere, having fans back. Ordinarily, I think it's like okay, you know. Obviously, there's a significant home field advantage at a lot of stadiums in college football. I also think sometimes that we overrate that when we go into big games, thinking that the fans are going to have a gigantic impact on on the outcome, when in reality, the better team usually wins the football game. I think the reason why this year is a little bit different and a little bit more significant with home field advantage, Joey, is because if you think about like freshmen and sophomores, freshmen obviously have never played in a college atmosphere before, but even like sophomores, didn't really play in a true college atmosphere a year ago. And I think in bigger games, you're seeing where, okay, there are multiple classes of kids playing in front of fans for the first time in some of these crazy environments. And you're seeing it have a significant impact on the outcome of football games. Mm-hmm. Sure are. Yeah. And, and this was, you know, I, I was, 
I was disappointed early in this game at the Louisville crowd. It seemed like it was almost half empty, you know, inside Cardinal Stadium. But by the end, I mean, there were people saying they hadn't heard the stadium that loud in a long time. You know, when yep. when that last, you know, when the, when the interception return for a touchdown happened, like, and you could you could hear it on TV, like, and that was just one of the many moments we've had early in this season of like, man, I miss this. Like, right? Yeah, for sure. So really good stuff from Louisville here. Really good win. Um, this is something really they can build on, and we'll see if, if they're able to do it. They get a trip to Tallahassee to play Florida State next week. We'll get to them. Um, that, mm-hmm. Yeah, that game. You know, that game looking as winnable as it's looked in uh, in a couple yep. months now. So, yep, we'll get there. Louisville forty two, UCF thirty five. That's that's the high note we're going to start on, Mike. And then we're gonna we're gonna ho- go ahead and just drop down into the depths here a little bit for a couple games. Uh, West Virginia 27, the number 15 Virginia Tech Hokies 21. Uh, Mike, this was a this was a struggle and and not the best performance from the Hokies at least early. They tried to make the comeback, could not complete the comeback, and uh, this is now a loss. I'd like to congratulate you on your lock of the week hitting. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I don't know if it was as much the lock of the week hitting or Virginia Tech just failing to capitalize. <laughs> on opportunities presented to them by West Virginia in the second half. First of all, I thought West Virginia had a really good game plan early. Um, They schemed Virginia Tech out of their base defense quite frequently in the first half, um, Mm -hmm. especially on the first two drives. The Letty Brown 80-yard touchdown run uh, to put West Virginia up 7-0 on the first drive of the game, they schemed Dax Hollyfield, Virginia Tech's middle linebacker, right out of the play. They used motion. They got him out of the picture. And then West Virginia's offensive line just completely dominated Virginia Tech's defensive line for a good portion of that first half. And that first drive of the game, especially, Letty Brown had nothing but green grass in front of him mm-hmm. on that touchdown run. So got to credit West Virginia for their for their scheme, um, especially early. On Virginia Tech's side, I, I thought Tech's defense did not play particularly well in the first half, played much better in the second half, only gave up three points. Um, again, West Virginia had a twenty-seven, a, a twenty-four to seven lead uh, in in the third quarter. They kicked a field goal, go up twenty-seven to seven, and you know naturally they got a bit more conservative with play calling. Virginia Tech started tackling a bit better. Um, a lot of missed tackles in this football game. West Virginia's speed at the skill positions really bothered Virginia Tech. Um, now, Tech's defense, they adjusted, and once they got a better handle of what West Virginia was doing schematically offensively, I thought the defense played much, much better. And you got to credit the Hokies for the way they came out in the second half defensively. Offensively, it's it's kind of been the story of the season. Uh, very inconsistent. Uh, didn't look great early. Brad Cornelson, really conservative game plan. A lot of lateral passes, like screens, uh Passes out to a flat to running backs. He, he um, does not want to try to push the ball down the field with Braxton Burmeister no. at quarterback. No. And it's kind of bothersome because when Burmeister does push it down the field, Virginia Tech's had some success. Uh, he threw a touchdown pass to Tavion Robinson to get Virginia Tech on the board. That was a dart right down the middle of the field. Um, think back to the Carolina game. You know, uh, Burmeister threw that wheel route to Trey Turner to set up the, the second touchdown of the game. He had a really beautiful ball he threw to Tavion Robinson on the wheel route against Carolina that didn't end up being a touchdown because Robinson didn't get a foot down, but it was a great throw. 
So it's not like Burmeister can't make those throws. It's that it just seems like Brad Cornelson doesn't want him to, which I think is going to really hamper Virginia Tech's offensive ceiling because they are simply just not really running the football as well without Khalil Herbert. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. Um, Burmeister running the ball. So he had 10 carries for 44 yards and a touchdown. He was largely good in the running game. Um, I thought he was looking to run a little bit too much early in the game. Um, the the one thing I've said on this podcast about Burmeister that was a, an upgrade, in my opinion, from Hennett Hooker is that Burmeister has been a bit better in going through his progressions in the passing game. That was not really the case on Saturday. It was, okay, if the first read's not open, I'm going to take off and run. And I think a lot of that had to do with West Virginia's success with their pass rush early in the game. Um, Virginia Tech's offensive line did a better job as the game went on, but they lost their right tackle, Silas Janzi, early. They were shuffling on the right side of the offensive line that's inexperienced anyway. Virginia Tech starting a freshman at right guard and Caden Moore. So when you lose a right tackle, you lose James Mitchell, a tight end. You know, you're going to have some issues. But I think West Virginia's speed up front really bothered Virginia Tech's offensive line. I think that was a major storyline in the game. Now, a bigger storyline here is the situational play calling by Brad Cornelson. And this has been an issue for a while. Um, And kind of where I stand on this, and, you know, it's low-hanging fruit. Virginia Tech fans do not like Brad Cornelson as an offensive coordinator. It's low-hanging fruit for college football fans to really just not like their offensive coordinator. That's just kind of like a running joke. But, you know, there's reason to be upset with Cornelson. I mean, the way I look at this show is that, you know, Virginia Tech, if you look at just – the statistics, right? Since 2016, and you kind of go through and, and you look at the statistics from Brad Cornelson offenses, you'll see that he set multiple school records for offensive output, right? You'll see that yards per play, very good. Points per game, very good. Like total yards, passing offense, rushing offense, whatever. In any particular year, they're putting up pretty good offensive numbers on paper. That's not the issue. It's not a scheme thing with Brad Cornelson. It's a situational play calling thing. I mean, when you're down at the goal line, Joey, um, and, and you look at the you look at this game, and you know Justin Fuente after the game, when he was asked about the red zone struggles that Tech had here, and this was the story of the game offensively, uh, he said it was pretty shoddy and inconsistent red zone offense. Mm-hmm. Um, Virginia Tech snapped the ball twelve times from West Virginia's ten yard line or closer. Those plays yielded no points. Yeah, now, I was going to say, like, they, they had the ball three times in the final, like, seven minutes of this game. All three of them, they got inside the 10-yard line. Only one of them did they score a touchdown. Like, right. they had their chances here. They just could not punch it in, you know, inside the five, basically, on, on now, the other two. No, I mean, they had a big kick return before halftime by Raheem Blackshear. Blackshear is just, he's a really good player. Um, they, they get down there inside the red zone. They have a pass that Burmeister threw, he, you know, got tipped. It looked like got tipped at the line. Um, and Tavion Robinson, it looked like he caught it in the end zone, but you know, the officials ruled it incomplete on the field and it was so close, you know, it was not going to be one. They overturned whatever call they made on the field was going to stand on that play. If they called it a touchdown, it would have been a touchdown call it incomplete, which is what they did. It was going to be incomplete. Um, then Terrell Smith, you know, the seventh year senior at, at right tackle who came in the game after Silas Jansby got hurt. He commits a false start, and then John Parker Roma misses a short field goal before halftime. So it's like, okay, Virginia Tech has a chance to get back in the game here before half, and they 
they miss a field goal, you know, and, and then late in the game, you know, Jermaine Waller gets a gift interception because Jared Dagey, I don't know what he was doing. He was trying to throw a screen pass and Waller just read it. They, they gift Virginia Tech the ball, 218 to play. I was going to say um, that, that was that was almost if, if Virginia Tech had punched it in and won the game like that would have been just an astounding choke job by by Jared Dagey in West Virginia like that. He had he had at least one, if not two receivers completely wide open to the right side of the field. And instead, he throws it into traffic, overthrows it and it's intercepted like, oh, my goodness gracious, <laughs> just hor- just a horrible throw. And Waller read it. And, and it was a good play for him to be right place, right time. You put yourself in a position to make a play like that. But, you know, we, we're going to talk about turnover luck a lot tonight. That's another turnover luck play. Now Virginia Tech has the ball down by six with 218 to play at the West Virginia 18-yard line. They get down in the red zone. They, they run a jet sweep short side of the field. They run that a couple times. And that, that play never works. It doesn't make any sense. They, they ran it short side and... If you go back and look at it, West Virginia was overloaded to the strong side of the field there where Virginia Tech was running it. Like they had more guys than Virginia Tech could block. So that play was never going to work. If Burmeister kept that ball, he could just run out to the left and scored. It was just like just really frustrating situational play calling that's simply not going to get any better. And the, the, the thing that bothers me about this is that, and, and I'm, I know I'm ranting, but I'll. It, Scott texted me before his podcast and he asked me how long this rant was going to be. And I said, it's going to, it's going to get a little ranty, but there's a lot for me to say here. The Cornelson <laughs> thing, the, the, the Cornelson thing, the reason why this bothers me, Joey, is because Virginia tech has not recruited well enough under this coaching staff. And they're not talented enough, in my opinion, offensively to overcome poor situational play calling by their offensive coordinator. Correct. And the, you know, you can point to a lot of things, right? Recruiting starts with the entire coaching staff. There were a lot of execution-related errors by Virginia Tech on Saturday. But despite all of that, right, despite everything that went against Virginia Tech, you miss a short field goal. You have the pass in the end zone to Robinson that, you know, was probably a touchdown that wasn't, right? And, and you have a lot of stuff go against you. You know, you had a couple turnovers. You know, a lot of stuff happened there on Saturday that went against you, and yet you still had a chance to win this football game. You credit the players for not quitting, but I think the coaches let Virginia Tech down on Saturday, in particular, Brad Cornelson. Um, just really, really poor offensive play calling in short yardage situations. Um, I, it's just a really, really disappointing loss. And I think if, you know, I, I think if you're Justin Fuente, you know, and you want to keep your job moving forward, because I, I think we can, I think we can say after the North Carolina game, you know, stock was back up a little bit with Fuente, right? Just one game, but you know, that's something that, that that's a type of type of win that can propel your program the rest of the year. Yep. And Virginia yeah. Tech didn't quit on Fuente on Saturday. Right. And a lot of Fuente coach teams would have would have rolled over in the past and they didn't quit, which is an encouraging sign. If, if you're going to take any bright spots in this loss, Joey, it's an encouraging sign. And there are winnable games on the schedule still. But if you're Justin Fuente and you want to turn this program into a 10 or 11 win program again, I don't think Brad Cornell is the guy at offensive coordinator to do it. <laughs> I mean, what is this, 2018? Like <laughs> we, we, we've been saying this for years, Mike, like this just. He's, over and over. Cornelson's been there since Fuente got there, right? And it's yep. like he's never made the change. And, and at this point, I don't think he's going to get the chance to. Like, right. 
I don't know. Like, and this is one of those games, man. That like, I it's it's not the what, it's the how. Like, yeah. going into Morgantown and losing to West Virginia in a rivalry game and that environment and all that stuff. Like, that's not that bad. But when you have what three drives, you know, you, you lose by six, and you have three drives get inside the opponent's ten yard line, and you come away with nothing. No points. If you just kicked field goals and and made them, by the way, if you just yeah, kicked right. and made field goals on all three of those drives, you win the game. You know, right. like it's so. And so that's the thing is, is I, I'm definitely generally an advocate for going for it when you're down that far into the into the red zone, and I get it. But that also kind of requires like having something that you you're gonna call that you like and it makes sense and. Like you're saying, I mean, we just don't see that that much from Brad Cornelson in this offense, and and it's been a, it's been a trend for years. Yeah, Virginia Tech is last in the ACC in red zone efficiency, I believe, and they are. I'll get you the exact number in a second. 127th nationally in red zone conversions. Yeah. So I mean, woof. and 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 the thing that bothers me too, and and I get what they're trying to do when they're in the middle of the field and they're running bootlegs with. For my sphere, because it's an easy read when you have an athletic program, right? You read it from back to front. You run a levels play with the receivers. Deep guy, okay, if he's covered, try the middle guy. If not, try the guy in the flat. If not, take off running, yeah. right? And I understand why you run that in the middle of the field. I don't understand why you run that inside the 10-yard line, inside the 20-yard line in the red zone, where you're cutting off the entire half of the field when there's a lot of guys on defense in a small amount of space to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then you cut off half of the field. I mean, Virginia Tech ran that play on fourth and goal. I knew they were toast. They had nothing, absolutely nothing there. And and that play wasn't open the entire game. Yeah. Yeah, you you get to a point in the field where you're, you're you know, as you try to get somebody, quote unquote, in space, like you have a lot more horizontal space than, than vertical space to work right. with. And like right. you're saying, I mean, you start, you know, you cut off half the field. You don't, It's a half field read. Like at most points in the field, that's good. In the red zone, when everyone's just all bunched up and you don't have any throwing lanes and stuff like, I mean that that becomes a, a nightmare. So, yeah, it's it's got to make sense, and and it doesn't when they do that. So, right, yeah, this was this was rough for Virginia Tech, and, and I'm not going to pile on too much. You know, you've you've said it all here. I, I think um, I, I did mention the 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 Daggy interception that set up Virginia Tech there late in the game was horrendous, and part of what what it was was. West Virginia had third and five. It looked like they had a pretty good play call and that they could convert a first down and, and basically put the game away with that. They get a false start on kind of a, yep. a small, small little flinch that got called. It was a, it was a false start. It was a good call. Push them back to third and ten, and then that was what resulted in that interception. I mean, that was a brutal series for West Virginia, and, and if, if they hadn't survived, like that's what you're pointing at as a Mountaineers right. fan. Right. Um. The other thing, Mike, was that, and and I've I've referred to this a couple times as we've talked about Virginia Tech so far this year, is that Braxton Burmeister and I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Is like it seems like him in the passing game is just it's just a little bit limited. Like it's it's limited for sure. Yeah, he, for sure. He has yep. made some really good throws down the field. He has, but that's only a few of them. Yep. Like for the most part, I it, it really feels like Braxton Burmeister is doing the Burr minimum. In the passing game, there it is. There it is. Yeah, we got worked it in. Look, worked it in. I was going full dad pun this weekend. Yep, I, I was really proud of that one. Braxton you tested, Burmeister, you tested it on me before this podcast. <laughs> Braxton Burmeister doing the Burr minimum in the passing game. It's that's. I'm going to stick with that. I think that's a good theme for me. So yeah, 
I dig I'm it. also old, so I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, last thing I wanted to point out that was not a great look for Virginia Tech in this game. West Virginia finishes this game with six sacks and ten tackles for loss. Yeah, offensive line, dude, got whipped. I'm telling you, that was that was everybody's talking about the short yards play call and all that. The story of the game really was Virginia Tech getting whooped up front. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned Braxton Burmeister finished this game with ten carries for what forty-five yards or something like that. Like, not yep. bad. Yep. The official stat sheet I'm looking at on ESPN says sixteen carries for eleven yards. Like, yeah, bad. A lot um, of that got undone with those sacks. Oh yeah, because I was looking at Raheem Blackshear's carries, so that's my bad. Oh well. Um, the uh, still probably about oh, right. Uh, well, yeah, my bad. Um, yeah, Virginia Tech. So inside the ten two, and I and I mentioned the, um, you know, the fact that Virginia Tech snapped it twelve times, didn't get any points. Um, six net yards over five passing on three possessions at the ten or closer. So, not great. Not ideal. Not ideal. And I would say a very small percentage of that can be attributed to Burmeister. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of it was just nobody's open we're just going to throw it out of bounds or the Tavion Robinson play in the end zone yeah that's it which I I mean some of it's Burmeister it's it's that in combination with you know the play calling and and scheming guys open just not happening so I want to throw up having a bad time well before you do that let's let's go ahead and move on West Virginia 27 Virginia Tech 21 that will be all right just hang in there it'll be all right Uh, we'll see Richmond beat Richmond well, yeah, start there, please. Start there. Beat Richmond. Go into the bye week, figure something out. Yeah, we're going to have to come back and, and talk about out-of-conference performances here in a minute. But before we do, oh, well, well, let's talk about another out-of-conference performance. Michigan State 38, number 24, mm. Miami 17. Who, buddy? This was not good for Miami. And it, it was – I mean, this really got away from them in the fourth quarter. But yep. this was not a good performance. Um, we predicted – Miami got beat up in this game. Derek King got beat up. Derek King turns the ball over four times in this game, had yep. two picks and two lost fumbles. Yep. I think three of those four were relatively heinous turnovers. Like yep. one of those interceptions was a tr- like a just a horrific underthrow uh, right before halftime. Uh, the the two fumbles were just kind of unforced errors. One of them was a strip sack uh, that late in the game that I think Michigan state set up to kind of score the, the, the go ahead, you know, the, they were already leading, but they scored a touchdown that basically put the game away uh, coming off that strip sack. Um, I mean, my goodness, this was a rough showing from Miami. And I, I think it's time that we start asking some real questions, really real questions about Manny Diaz and where we're going here. Yeah. I think Manny Diaz is uh, the leader in the clubhouse as far as the hot seat firing mm-hmm. type of coach right now. I think he's the leader. Might not make it to Halloween at this point. It's not good. It, um, I want to give some credit to Miami's defense for their performance for like basically three full quarters. Like the defense hung in there. The offense was putrid, Joey. Really the dreadful. offense was so bad. It was so bad. And and <sighs> D.R. King ends up throwing for 388 yards, but Joey, he threw the ball 59 times. And mm-hmm. a lot of those yards came in garbage time when you know, that's just the way the play script is being dictated. They can't run the ball. No. Miami no. cannot run the football. And and Michigan State's a good defense, but they, Miami, we're three games in. They can't run it. Mm-mm. They can't run it. And they can't really throw it either. Something's off with this passing game. And it's got very little to do with Charleston Rambo. 
<laughs> he had 12 for 156 and two touchdowns, a lone bright spot for Miami's offense. Yeah, he, but, he had like one or two rough little moments, but by and large, I mean, he was pretty great all day on Saturday. Yep. Yeah. Um, so he, he's really good. And it's not that Miami doesn't have playmakers. We know Mike Harley's a good player. Will Mallory, a tight end, is a good player. Miami's defense, it was bend but don't break. I mean, Kenneth Walker finishes with 172 yards. It was averaging 6.4 yards per carry. Dude, he is and a problem. He's a problem. And the reason why Michigan State is a very sneaky Big Ten team, Joey, is because they now have consistent production in the running game again with Kenneth Walker the third, and Peyton Thorne no longer a thorn in the side of Michigan State. They do, they have a quarterback, Joey. Dude, Peyton Thorne can chuck it, and he, he was can chuck it. He can chuck it. This is um, we, we're back to having a competent quarterback at Michigan State. No more Rocky Lombardi BS. We mm-hmm. we got a real quarterback again. Two sixty one and four scores. What this really comes down to is the game just getting away from Miami. They couldn't afford to turn the ball over. They did, and they did too much. Minus uh, four Mich- in turnovers. Minus four in turnovers is not going to win you many football games. And in mm-hmm. fact, it will get you blown out a lot more than um, you expect to. You lose this game by three touchdowns. You turn the ball over several times. Michigan State took advantage of those turnovers. Peyton Thorne's really good. Kenneth Walker's really good. But the question I have about Miami is almost totally related to, you know, the offense, because I just, you have all those playmakers, like, why aren't you scoring points? Mm-hmm. Like, what's, what's going on? Like, what's going on here? I mean, they, they got in a slugfest, Alabama's Alabama, throw it out. You're in a slugfest with App State, and you put up 17 against Michigan State. What are you doing? Yeah. Well, and, and first of all, I want to shout out Cam Underwood, and I'm not, I'm not like trying to, you know, be facetious here or anything. Like I, I, I was kind of wondering some of these things myself and I, I went and checked out state of the this morning, trying to read and see. And, and I thought his article, the good, the bad and the ugly coming out of this game. Always good. Was, it's always good. It's brilliant. And if you've never gone over there and read it, it, it's a really easy read. It only takes maybe like three, four minutes, but it, it does a phenomenal job of giving just the right amount of detail to understand what were the things yep. that happened in the game and my goodness, I mean, he he pointed out at one point, Derek King in the run game, he is very clearly not 100% healthy coming off that blown ACL from last year. Yep. Like, yep. there is an extra gear that he had that he does not have right now. And yep. teams are having an easy time containing him, making him sit in the pocket and, and drop, you know, just be a straight drop back passer. And it is not going well at all. No. It's going poorly. Uh, yeah, I read that. I I read Cam's stuff every week. It, it, that article in particular, the good, the bad, and the ugly. No matter the outcome for Miami, I always try to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just right on the money. So it's very good. I agree with you there. Make sure you go check that out. But yeah, De'Aaron King doesn't. He doesn't have it in the running game. I agree. Certainly not a hundred percent. And he's doing what he can in the passing game. But it's just something a little bit off. And I'm not sure it's totally De'Aaron King related either. Like King's got his fair share of blame throwing the football right now. But I look at Miami's receivers, and I don't know if it's timing or just the lack of a true running game to really set up the pass. It's just something is a little bit off in the passing game right now where it just seems like the quarterback and receivers are just not in sync. And I, you know, I'm sure some of that has to do with De'Ara King. I'm, I'm sure some of it has to do with the receiving core, but it's just something is not right with this offense right now. Their offensive line is also low-key 
absolutely terrible. Like, they're bad. Yeah, they're bad up front. Well, yeah, and there was sure. another there was another article over at State of the U that was it was a film study that was pointing out that for how slow they are, you know, some how slow some of their feet are and how yep. you know bad they are getting in pass sets, like they're using really thin splits, which that's it's getting a little bit into X's and O's, but basically like how wide, you know, how how far is there between your offensive linemen? And if like they're they're playing super tight into the ball basically to where opposing defensive ends don't have very far to go to get to your quarterback. Like, right. you know, you're not even doing things to make it hard. So it's just, there's just a lot of things I think there. And then pointing out too on defense with some of the angles being taken, some of the techniques being played. It's oh, like, Joey, this is Joey. Like, that clip, I, that clip I sent you oh, with rough. the safety, just running into a block and said, trying to be willing and make a tackle. What are we doing? Like actively dodges the ball carrier to go hit a blocker basically. Yeah. I mean, this is a this is a poorly coached football team, Mike. <laughs> Miami is yep. poorly coached, and, yep. and like that. That's I, I get a little bit of the letdown last week against App State, but you're seeing more of the same. And, and I mean, you're going to beat Central Connecticut State this week, but then you get Virginia at home at UNC, home against NC State at Pittsburgh, home against Georgia. like it doesn't get a whole lot easier from here. Like, and yeah. I just. They're they're one of the most talented teams in the conference just from a roster standpoint, but they are not right. well coached. Talent, strict speaking, strictly on talent, right? And, and the roster of Miami, they are not three touchdowns worse than Michigan State. Yep, like this is an inexcusable loss. You cannot be losing to Michigan State by three touchdowns, and I, and that's not to take anything away from Michigan State because I think they might sneakily be one of the better teams in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. but like you can't. You can't have this happen, especially at home. I mean, it's just embarrassing. Again, it's, it's embarrassing. Not the what, it's not the what, it's the how. Like, yep. Not the what, it's the how. I mean, again, this is talked about with Virginia Tech. It's is this Miami's worst loss under Manny Diaz? No. Is it one of the ugliest losses under Manny Diaz? Yes. Not a good look at all. Yep. So yeah, not great for Miami. Um only other thing I was going to mention, I mean, in you saw this again. Michigan State scores with four minutes to go on a forty-yard touchdown pass against blown coverage. I mean, there was they convert a fourth and one on a QB sneak, turn around and hit a forty-yard touchdown pass, you know, over the top right there. I mean, just there's just moments in the game where Miami has a chance to kind of stand up and take momentum back, and they just they're not doing it. This team is really missing something that they had last year. Yep. They were not. It's, they are. They were good. They were a lot better last year, and it wasn't like a lucky thing. Now, we said at times that it felt like maybe Derek King is kind of dragging the rest of the team, um, you know, to, to win games that they would normally lose and things like that. And maybe now with his knee, you know, not at 100%, maybe even he can't can't do it. I don't know. I don't He's know. not. I don't think he's capable of carrying this team right now. Kind of doesn't and, feel that way. Yeah. Not, not to take shots at Derek King. He's trying, but. I don't think he's he's got that gear right now, especially in the running game, like you mentioned. Yep, absolutely. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else here? Pray for Miami. <laughs> Pray for Miami. That's right. Michigan State 38, the Miami Hurricanes 17. Let's keep going, Mike. Number six, Clemson 14, hmm. Georgia Tech 8. Huh. Huh. This was huh. this was a game, Mike. This was interesting. Um, I was let me let me start here. 
All the credit in the world to Georgia Tech, to that team, to that coaching staff. I loved the game plan. They imagine, ex- they executed imagine it perfectly. saying this two weeks ago. Yeah, no. It, I mean, this is – and again, who's the real team here? Because the team right. that, that lost on their own field to Northern Illinois, who, by the way, has lost two games afterwards that have not made it look any better – Right. That team turns around and has the ball, you know, goal to go with a minute left in the game, ready to send it to overtime against Clemson. Like what? Really? Like, yep. Which one's the real team here? I don't know. And that's, uh, you know, we're probably going to talk about that here a little bit moving forward is like, I don't know what to believe, but all the credit in the world to the coaching staff, to the team. I thought the game plan was brilliant. I thought they executed it brilliantly. Uh, the defense held up fantastically well and, and, you know, contained everything that Clemson was trying to do. They kept themselves in the game, and, and I, I cannot give enough credit. This is this is almost as happy as I've been, I think. I think this has probably been about the best performance that we saw, we have seen under Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. So credit to Georgia Tech. I, I Hopefully, hopefully, this is a, a sign of things to come. And I will end up eating my words that, you know, we were seeing the end of the Jeff Collins era and he won't get fired and everything will be great. And Georgia Tech wins national titles and we'll all be happy like that would be lovely. Um, I don't know if I believe it yet or if I can trust him to do it again next week and the week after that. But right. for what we saw on Saturday, Mike, fantastic showing for Georgia Tech. I want to start there. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, it, it really was a fantastic showing for Georgia Tech defensively. Wow. And, and Georgia Tech defense has played well this year. You know, it, by and large, this has not been a uh, defense problem, right? Not too bad. By, by and large. Um, they got pushed around a little bit by Northern Illinois, but I mean, you gave up 22 points and loss. Right, right. I mean, I'm not going to blame the defense yeah. for that too bad. Right. Yeah. I mean, they could have played better, but wasn't the worst thing in the world. I, I look at this and I just I come away I come away from this with a lot of questions and not that many answers, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, starting uh, on the Georgia Tech side, because I want to give them a lot. I want to give Georgia Tech a lot of credit defensively. It was really impressive what they were able to do, and just from a pure skill talent standpoint and it's not that georgia tech doesn't have talent on the roster you know jeff collins has recruited quite well since he's gotten there that that's not that's not it it's just stacking up georgia tech's talent against clemson's talent and seeing how the jackets played defensively was really impressive Mm -hmm. um so all the credit in the world and and my questions begin with the line of questions begins with who is the real Georgia Tech team, right? Um, are we going to see performances like this the rest of the year? Was was Georgia Tech this prepared because this was their Super Bowl, right? Um, and I don't mean to say that, you know, I don't think they could play this well the rest of the year. That's not where I was going with this. I'm just thinking in my head, like, they had a game plan here, Joey, and they stuck with it. Mm-hmm. The question I had in the preview, and I picked Clemson to cover and I locked it up and all that. The question I had with Georgia Tech in the preview was not that they were going to deploy the game that they did, because they did exactly what we thought offensively, where they were going to sit on the ball and try you know, limited possessions for Clemson. They did all that. The, the thing that was more surprising for, you know, 
for me was that they stuck with it for mm-hmm. four quarters, that they were able to just sit on the football and continue to sit on the football and that the coaching staff didn't really go away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was surprising to me that they stuck with it for all four quarters. Can they stick with a game plan that they have in any given game throughout the rest of the season? Can they stick with that? You know, n- not necessarily sitting on the football, but whatever the game plan is that week, can they, can they stick with it for four quarters? Yep. Like that's a very simple question I have for Georgia tech. Well, and I, and I think it's easier to stick with the game plan, you know, especially one that's, it's kind of trying to, trying to you know shorten the game and, and limit possessions and all these things that a certain columnist wrote on from the rumble seat last week. Um, it there it like, is. You know, there might Nailed be, it. might've even been some reading being done by the coaching staff. Who's to say, but to say? Um, I mean, it, it helps to do those things when this is a one score game through 52 minutes, like right. it was eight minutes, eight minutes left when Clemson scored to go up 14 to three. Like at, at some point, if you're, if you're down seven to three and it kind of doesn't matter when it is or where it like, just keep doing what you're doing and maybe, right. you know, maybe something happens. I don't know. Stretch um, it out. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was very impressed with the play calling. I, I, I think I, I've said quite a bit on this podcast in the last couple of seasons. I was really not a fan of what I saw from Dave Patnode for really any of 2019 and really for a lot of 2020. I have not been a fan of his. I think so far through three games, I think his play calling and his game planning have been great. I think they've been really good, and I've, I've been really impressed with what I've seen there. There were execution issues in the Northern Illinois game, but there were guys open that would have been scoring touchdowns and kind of things if, if guys could have can hit in those passes, basically. Um, so credit credit to him. I thought he had a great game plan here. They, they moved the ball enough. I mean, they, they did not really hit any sort of big plays almost at all. There was one long catch and run by Kyrick McGowan early in the third quarter. Um, but other than that, I mean, that, that was the only play that Georgia Tech had that went more than 20 yards. Um, right. And I think it might have been the only play in the entire game for either team that went more than 20 yards. Like, this was a bit of a rock fight. I believe fight. it was. This is a rock fight. If you didn't have any sort of investment in it and you didn't really care if, if Clemson won or lost or whatever – this was probably a miserable watching experience, frankly. Like this, this would have been hard to watch. Yeah, um, it was up there. Yeah, so there was that. Um, the other thing I'm, I'm interested to talk about a little bit or, or think on is th- there's a lot of back and forth right now with Georgia Tech fans. I'm seeing of like, well, what do we do with the quarterback situation? Mm-hmm. Because Jeff Sims got hurt against Northern Illinois, he should probably be healthy at this point. We thought we were going to see him at some point in this game. But all we've seen since then is Jordan Yates go out and just be an absolute gamer. Um, right. And he's a guy that I think he's a little bit physically limited relative to Jeff Sims. I mean, he doesn't have as big of an arm. He's not as fast. He's not as tall. Um, you know, there, there are things that Sims is physically capable of that Jordan Yates is not. But, man, Jordan Yates is making great decisions. He is pinpoint accurate on short to medium range throws. Um, I, I have been really happy with what I've seen from Jordan Yates through a couple of weeks. And I, and I wonder if you don't just have to stick with him for a while until you have a reason not to think you stick with him. I think so too. I think you stick with him. I, he's taking care of the football. Like you said, he's been accurate. I was impressed with what I saw too. He had commanded the offense yesterday against a, a very good Clemson defense. I have questions about Clemson. We'll get into in a second, mm-hmm. but the one thing I know about Clemson through three games is they can play defense and Yates went in there. wasn't intimidated at all. Good passing numbers. 
didn't turn it over, was really accurate, was making plays in the running game too. I mean, I think you stick with him. Yep. Yeah, so so all the credit in the world of Georgia Tech. I was incredibly happy with how they played. I was really happy with the scheme. I was happy with the play calling. Even that last, you know, there were people complaining about the little shovel pass they ran. Hated it. I hated it. I, I hated loved it. it. I loved it. Hated it. Couldn't stand it. I had no issue with that call. No. I mean, agree to disagree, but it's like I've watched yes. this offense for two plus years. I don't think I've ever seen him run that play. Yeah. When when is a better time to break that out? And all you know, all it took was a, a really heady play from James Skalski to break it up. Otherwise, you might have scored. Yeah, I I didn't like it because you're going right into the teeth of a defense that really made things difficult on the interior for a good portion of the game. That's why I didn't like it. Now, as far as the play design, I mean, whatever, you know. Yeah, fine. But I just that's the reason why I didn't like it, just because Clemson had a lot of success on the interior defensive line for much of the game. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah. And, and and I think really kind of where it, it got blown up was a, a pulling guard who I'm not going to name names, but my goodness, mm-hmm. a pulling guard who has had a brutal start to the season uh, didn't didn't get there in time and, and didn't didn't get the job done. And that was uh, that was his man who made the tackle. Yeah. So, yep. Shout out to a nameless offensive guard for, for Georgia Tech. Um, so Names I, are familiar. Yeah, I had no questions, no con- no concerns about play calling, about clock management, any of it. I thought it was a brilliantly coached game. I thought it was a brilliantly executed game by Georgia Tech. Good stuff all around. Mike, should we talk about Clemson for a second? Yeah, we can continue my questions list. Let's start here. Clemson, who the hell are you on offense? What, what the, is happening here? Y- yeah, what the hell is wrong with Clemson's offense this year? My goodness, they are a mess. Joey, this is courtesy of our friend Kelly Gramlich. She tweeted this out earlier this evening as we report here on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Clemson is currently dead last in the ACC in scrimmage plays that go 10 yards or further. Mm-hmm. And they are dead last in the ACC in plays of 20 yards or more on offense. Um, those are two statistics that we would expect Clemson's offense to be near the top of the leaderboard on. And they just mm-hmm. aren't right now. They, there's no explosiveness to this offense, Joey. None and at all. When's the last? It, look, it's one thing to go up against Georgia, right? And Georgia defense is going to give everybody hell all year, right? And, you know, you and I said, you know what? Clemson's offense didn't look very good in the opener. It's Georgia. Fine. You know, let's, let's write it off. Small sample size. Same thing we do in Miami. They went up against Bama. Let's, let's just kind of put that to the side. Um, Clemson's offense, a bit up and down against South Carolina State. And now we go into this game against Georgia Tech, and again, a very a, a good Georgia Tech defense, but certainly not Georgia's defense. And they can't really execute the offense at a high level. No. You know? Yeah, only score 14 points here. DJU only throws for 126 yards. You can't really run the football that well. 126 um, yards on 25 pass attempts and 18 completions, by the way. He was whoa. horrifically inefficient in this game. Yep, and, and is is it just me or does it feel like the receiving core just kind of all does the same thing? We we've mentioned this before. It just feels like they have a bunch of receivers who are the same guy. I mean, Clemson's longest play in this entire game was a 17 yard pass to Kobe Pace that I believe was like a screen pass. It was a catch and run yeah. kind of thing. They had a 16 yard pass to Justin Ross, a 13 yard pass to Joe Nagata. But yeah, I mean, and 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 by the way. 
Clemson's receivers were catching the ball, and then they were just immediately getting swallowed up by Georgia Tech's defense. Like, there was almost nothing in the way of yards after the catch this entire game for them. No, nothing. And they're really missing a slot guy. Like, they're missing a, you know, they're missing a Hunter Renfro Mm -hmm. type receiver in the slot and a Murray Rogers type receiver. Like, they're, they're missing that guy right now. Yeah. And, Bill Shipley is a five-star running back, and you know he's flash potential here through the first few games. He was great. But he still looks game. like, yeah, oh yeah, but, but he's still a freshman, mm-hmm. you know. And um, it's going to take him a little bit. He's going to be really good, but it's going to take him a little bit. I just in Clemson's offensive line, Joey, they got some issues up front. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, credit credit to Georgia Tech's defensive front for uh, you know kind of sticking with them the whole game and right. you know they they got a, even a little bit of a push sometimes like good stuff Georgia Tech Clemson's offensive line does not look good like no. and, and I and I made the same point about when they played Georgia Georgia's defensive front really really good it's not that good like right. Clemson's offensive line is somewhere between like not very talented and not very well organized. Like, I don't right. know what's going on, but they, they are not very effective as a general unit right now against almost anybody. When people talk about Georgia's defense, they say, yeah, I mean, their defensive line's pretty good, but, but they talk about the linebackers in secondary. When you're talking about Georgia's defense, they're not like saying, you know, everything starts and ends with their defensive line. Mm-hmm. They're, they're good up front. They're not as good as they looked against Clemson up front, in my opinion. And it was just, Ugly in that game. Um, yeah, you throw last week out against South Carolina State to some degree with the offensive line, but like Georgia Tech's defensive line should not be given Clemson hell like that. And at points during this game, like you mentioned, it was like you're getting a little bit of a push and getting after the quarterback a little bit. And that shouldn't really be happening with a high degree of frequency. And it was. And I, so I got some questions about Clemson, Joey. This is a, team that I think has taken a significant step back offensively, which really makes me wonder if Clemson is not susceptible to drop in another one here in ACC play. And I feel like, Mike, we've seen Clemson be a little bit slow the first few weeks out of the gate in recent years. I mean, that's a thing that's that's happened, but not yep. like this. Not like this. Not at all. No. Even the Kelly Bryant-led team with Clemson didn't really – there was an element missing in the passing game with Kelly Bryant at quarterback, which is why he ultimately got replaced by Trevor Lawrence a few years ago. Um, but the year that Kelly Bryant led the offense by by himself, you know, Clemson still went to the playoff and they still had a, a good offense that year. But there was something, you know, a little bit of something missing in the passing game. That offense is a lot better than this one does right now. Yep. I mean, this is, this could be a problem for Clemson here. It's early, you know, they could figure some things out, but it's not looking very good right now. And, and and again, the the biggest thing to me is all of this and how it looks in the passing game. That that's the biggest issue to me. Um, and it, it was it wasn't just one thing. I mean, there were there were throws where DJU was was inaccurate. There were throws that were on time and accurate. They were getting dropped. Like just there was a lot of it that just did not look good. Um, yep. It was just a it was a terribly inefficient passing day for them. Um, and it was weird too because again, you mentioned Will Shipley. Clemson brings him in, I think it was late in the first quarter, and immediately runs something like six or seven straight run plays. Right. Ripping off five, six, seven yards of carry, gets in the end zone uh, and scores. 
And it's like we didn't see him again the rest of the first half. Right. Like they they were really really committing to this three man rotation of like him, Kobe Pace, and Lynn J. Dixon each get a drive or something. And it was like that you know it's working with that guy. Why don't you stick with him? Right. I, I, right. I don't know. So yeah, this is this is kind of a mess for Clemson. And thankfully, their defense is has been absolutely suffocating. I mean, yeah, we're yeah. we're we're three games into the season. They haven't allowed a touchdown yet. Um, at least an offensive touchdown. Um, but I mean. <laughs> they're going to have to get used to and get comfortable with winning some games like 21 to 10 or something. You know, they're not going to be able to run away from games unless something really changes and starts clicking on offense. Cause what we're seeing from Clemson right now, this is not, this is not the Tigers that we've seen for six, seven, eight years now. And I don't know where the blame goes, but that is what it is. I mean, they got a not so easy roadie this weekend in Raleigh against NC state. Uh, so. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to preview because the early line yep. is a lot smaller than I've seen Clemson in a conference game in a while. Uh, yep. They're only like an 11-point favorite, which is kind of interesting to, to talk about and to look ahead to. So yep. we'll get there on the preview. Uh, Mike, I, I do have a little bit more I want to hit on with this game. Uh, but before we do that, we're, uh, we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor here. Uh, Mike, have you ever wanted to support your team and look – and feel comfortable while doing it. Yep. Uh, well, you came to the right place then. Cause we're at section one Oh three.com. <laughs> My goodness, some comfortable, good looking stuff specifically for supporting Georgia tech. Uh, I wore my brand new, super, super soft ATL shirt yesterday while watching the game. I have a feeling that we might be working our way towards some, uh, some section one Oh three magic there. You know, if you know, you know, but if I wear that shirt every week and Georgia tech is going to go do that, then we're going to be in business here. Yeah, no, I agree. I have two Georgia Tech shirts. I've worn them both. Very comfortable. Both from Section 103. Yep, yep. Stuff for men, women, children. Uh, they've got T-shirts. They've got hoodies. Speaking of hoodies, Mike, I also got a hoodie that came in last week. It was in my house for less than 24 hours, and my wife stole it because it is so incredibly soft and comfortable. She has been wearing it nonstop ever since. Um, so cannot recommend the quality and, and I mean, it's, it's got official word mark stuff for Georgia tech, which again, really hard to find sometimes these days, but it's easy to find at section one Oh three. So go check them out. Section one Oh three.com for all things, uh, Georgia tech wear performance, wear regular t-shirts, super, super high quality stuff. Um, use promo code go ACC at checkout for 10% off your first order at section one Oh three.com. Mike. Yep. Mike, we go back to our regularly scheduled programming as I want to talk a little bit about the broadcast of this game. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I felt like it was appropriate to uh, to drop a little commercial break here in the middle of the recap because commercials were kind of the theme of this broadcast. And it was it was a weird situation to begin with. This came on the tail end of Miami, Michigan State was on ABC. That game was drawn out, but it was it was a done deal. But they wouldn't switch over to this game. So we started right. on like, I don't know, is ESPN U or something. And then they switched back to ABC. And then there was a two-hour lightning delay right around halftime. So they come back to that. And then they bumped it for Auburn-Penn State. So they got bumped to ESPN News. And then at some point, it got bumped to ESPN2 for Spikeball on ESPN News. Like, this was a nightmare of a broadcasting situation, trying to watch this game and, and take it all in. Orlovsky was pissed. He was pissed. Orlovsky was pissed, and I, I loved his just, like, overt orneriness of, like, why are we going to commercial again? Because, oh, by the way, Mike, I tweeted out earlier here on Sunday. I went and rewatched it. 
I really thought that they had just straight up skipped a play for the sake of commercials. Clemson scores their first touchdown late in the first quarter. I did not remember seeing them kick off, and that's because there was a a six-and-a-half-minute stretch, Mike, where they ran like two minutes and 45 seconds of commercials, 15 seconds of live ad read coming back to the broadcast. There was like 30 seconds of a kickoff that went over Georgia Tech's head and, and was a touchback, and then they went right back to commercial for three more minutes. And it was just like, can we, you know, and, and they come back from this lightning delay. They've been in a lightning delay for two hours, running commercials, doing studio stuff. They did live look-ins on Wake Forest, Florida State, which we'll get to. Like, all this stuff. They, they come back. There's like a, a, a guy with a, a little bit of a cramp that starts needing to get helped off the field. They went to commercial for that for two and a half minutes. And it was just, yep. just a gross watching experience. I did not have a good time at all with the TV broadcast here. That was poor. They do this. CBS, CBS does this with the NFL games on Sundays yeah. where it's like they have a kickoff. Okay, time for commercial. It's like right after a touchdown. It's like, what are we, why? What are we doing? Yeah, touchdown, commercial, kickoff, commercial, then actually start the drive. Like, right. Awful. Drives me crazy with the NFL games. It, for the most part, it's been better with college, but I don't know what was happening yesterday. Yeah. So, all to say, this really ground my gears. I was not, I was not happy with it. It, and it, it just sort of lingered the whole game. Maybe this is just a, a general ABC thing, but I don't know. So I didn't love it. Anyways, good showing from Georgia Tech. Real questions about Clemson at this point. Clemson 14, Georgia Tech 8. Uh, let's keep moving, Mike. We, we've got one more game that we kind of need to dig in on here. Mike, Western Michigan 44, Pittsburgh 41. Hmm. What the hell hmm. was this? Quintessentially Pittsburgh. It really was. This was an awful, awful showing from Pittsburgh, I felt like, especially on the defensive side of the ball. This was one of the worst defensive performances I've seen from Pitt in years. Um, you gave up over 500 yards. The secondary was continually getting shredded, and, and largely just on, like, slants. Uh, Western Michigan had two receivers, Corey Crooms and Sky Moore, go for 19 catches and 285 yards and two scores combined. Um, they had no answers for, for those guys. Uh, Pitt goes, I believe, minus three in turnovers, all three of those from Kenny Pickett. Um, this was a mess. This was awful. Pittsburgh is doing this thing here with, with their offense. And we'll talk about the Virginia North Carolina game here in a bit. Um, Pittsburgh's doing this thing with their offense where they're essentially just putting the ball in their fifth year senior quarterback's hands and they're just having him throw it as much as he can because the running game is just wholly non-existent, Joey. Putrid. It doesn't exist. It's it's embarrassingly horrible, like <laughs> unspeakably bad. I, I can't think of another Power Five team that has this like lopsided of an offense in terms of capabilities. Like even you know, even Mike Leach air raid teams that want to throw the ball sixty times a game, like they can run it a little bit. This team cannot run the ball whatsoever, and, and it and it's. It is mind-numbing to me how this just continues to be a trend and it never gets fixed and it never really seems to get any better. Yeah, it doesn't. And it's really been since Paul and Allison left the program going on, what, four years, three or four years ago? It's been since Whipple showed up. Yeah, and they just haven't had the running game since. And it's going to hurt them. It's Mm -hmm. really going to hurt them in ACC play because you have defenses that are going to say, you know what, if you're not going to run, we're just going to drop six or seven in coverage. And Kenny Pickett, for as well as he's played 
not only in this game where he had six touchdowns to one interception, and as well as he's played this year, we know Pickett is more than capable of throwing the wrong team to football. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at some point in ACC play, maybe multiple times in ACC play, the total lack or disregard for the running game is going to come back to bite him in the ass. And I'm going to say the same thing about Virginia here in a bit, but I have some concerns there with the, with the lack of a running game. Cause it's not even like, it's not even like they, they can't run it. It's that they like can't and don't want to. Yeah. And they abandon the run this, game often. You, yeah. And you just can't be this one dimensional in conference play. So I don't know. And, and the Pitt's defense, by the way, has been a little bit of an adventure so far in 2021, not nearly as, as good as I expected it to be this year. Um, mm-hmm. This was bad. I mean, they fell down early. Um, what was it? 20 to seven Western Michigan came back and then, you know, we're tied at halftime at 27 apiece. It's like, okay, where's the defense going to be And that both defenses I thought played pretty well in the second half. Um, Caleb Ellaby had, you know, three thirty-seven and three touchdowns. Um, I thought Pittsburgh's rushing defense overall was pretty good. Uh, you know, made life semi difficult on Western Michigan, which they should because it's Western Michigan. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I don't want to just totally dismiss Pittsburgh and and just say, you know what, that, you know, not only is this a terrible loss because it is, but like I, I don't want to sit here and dismiss them, saying like you know they can't win the coastal or anything like that because we Pittsburgh does this. Like this is something they do regularly. They lose to a team they should, and then they're really good in conference play. But like, there are some questions I have identity-wise on offense that I'm not sure are going to be fixed in time to really seriously contend in the coastal. That doesn't mean they can't win it and can't fall into their lap. They're so one-dimensional on offense. I do feel like that's going to come back to bite them. Oh, completely, completely. Yeah, this. This irritated me because after they they beat Tennessee last week, and I was looking at this game and then next week against I forget even who it's against uh, New Hampshire, you know an FCS team. It's like oh, well that's two layups. Pittsburgh's going to be four and zero. They're going to have gone undefeated and out of conference play for the first time since I don't know Dan Marino was there or something like that. Like. What was it Jim Hammett told us that they haven't gone undefeated and out of conference play since like the 90s? Yeah, it's been like 30 years. Which is unthinkable, but it it's true. And, well, no, <laughs> they found a way to lose the game. And I just, unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it win. wasn't the one we thought either, by the way. No. It wasn't no. the non-conference game we thought they were going to lose. No. Like, if you were going to lose one, it was probably last week against a Tennessee team that's at least got some talent on the field, but... Right, you know, are they organized or whatever? Maybe not. Uh, Pitt goes one for eight on third down and one for three on fourth downs in this game. Um, just a mess. It, I, I'll say this: it wasn't all bad. I, I thought Kenny Pickett on like eighty percent of plays was pretty good. Um, he threw six touchdowns. He was good. Yeah, sure. he, t- he tied Dan Marino's single game record at, at Pittsburgh for six touchdown passes in a game. Like, it wasn't all bad, but just wow. Um, th- this is not a good look. And by the way, Jordan Addison, six catches for 124 yards and three scores. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. I'll take that yeah. every time. I'll take it every time. Yeah. So it wasn't all bad for Pittsburgh, but the result was pretty all bad. Um, and, and Mike, last thing I have on this game is, is our account tweeted out something earlier. And I'm, I'm curious to know if you can draw the link here. 
What do the following programs have in common? Duke, Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh, Clemson, NC State, Florida State, and Miami. Do you have any idea what those programs have in common? Not a clue. Not a clue? Not a clue. All seven of those ACC programs, Mike, have now lost an out-of-conference game this year in which they were favored. Half of the league has lost an out-of-conference game that they were favored in. And by the way, Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh, and Florida State are in the elite, elite category. They were favored by double digits in those games and lost. Not good. Not good at all. Man. Well, I was trying to put together in my head, I was like, okay, non-conference losses. So I had that part right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why is Virginia Tech on here? They, they lost to a non-conference opponent. And then I was totally, you know, once I thought of that, I was like, I don't know. I don't know then. Yeah. That makes we, a lot of sense. We, yeah, we could go we could go down that road too of, of additional programs other than those seven that have lost games where they were, you know, s- slight underdogs or something like that in, you know, but... Yeah, that was just something that's it's kind of been starting to wear on me a little bit is like this is this is a trend like everyone is losing, you know, the the the, the phrase that Dan on the solid verbal uses is try to win your clunkers. ACC teams are not winning their clunkers this year. No. They're not. They're not. It's been a really bad start for the conference. It has not been great. Not been yeah. great. Uh we're going kind of long here, Mike, so let's keep moving here. Western Michigan yep. 44, Pittsburgh 41. Um, extra frustrating for me as a holder of a Pittsburgh over seven and a half wins ticket. Yes. Um, good grief. Come on. That's not, yeah, not, I, not great. There's time, but not great. It's a little bit my fault. I got it at the bad number. I should have gotten it six and a half instead of seven and a half, but Hey, right. Oh, well you, you live and you learn number 21, North Carolina, 59, Virginia, 39. Mike, my, my notes start here with holy offense, Batman. Yes. Uh, holy offense is right. Um, just from a pure statistical standpoint, North Carolina had almost 700 yards of offense. In fact, they were one yard away from 700. They finished three, with 699 yards of offense. Three feet short of 700 yards of offense. Good yes. Lord. And 1,276 yes. yards combined between these two teams. Yes. Uh, UVA, not too bad in their own right. They had 577 yards. But the issue with UVA is 553 of those 577 came on the arm of Brennan Armstrong, Joey. <laughs> Which, not how you draw it up, really. Not how you draw it up, but you know what? When I think about Virginia's offense the last few years, I'm like, you know what? That's kind of how Virginia likes to play football, mm-hmm. right? Like, just put it on the shoulders of your quarterback, and let's see what he can do. Happened with Bryce Perkins, happened with Brian Armstrong, throwing and running. And I just talked about Pittsburgh and their total lack of caring or uh, consistency in the running game. I will credit Virginia. They do try to run the ball more than Pittsburgh does. They're just not any good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not any no, good at it. Speaking of teams that, yeah, just straight up can't run the ball for reasons kind of unclear to to me or anybody else. Yes, Joey Wayne Tulipop in this game, two carries, negative two yards, one touchdown. Dude, go sit on the bench. <laughs> go sit on. Good lord, <sighs> what are we doing? Oh man, I, I um, mean, and again, credit to Virginia because Dentavian Wicks and Billy Kemp. Combined yeah. for 15 catches for 289 yards, three scores. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That'll play. They were all over the place. Um, That'll play. Uh, Josh Downs for North Carolina, eight for 203, two scores. He was like, I, I mean, he literally had over half of their receptions in this game. Like, yeah. 
I mean, and he's he is speaking of guys that are problems. Josh Down is a is a problem. Um, he's a problem. Yeah. To me, like it's interesting because there, there's kind of two pieces of this. Number one, the big question that we asked in the preview here, and we felt like Virginia was going to be able to at least keep this close, if not win it outright, was. Can Virginia's secondary contain North Carolina's passing attack and prevent the big plays? We thought they would. Answer, decidedly not. No, the answer they cannot. is no. Yes. The answer is no. Um, Joey, North Carolina was seven for nine on third down in this football game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I look at this, and Sam Howell had 15 carries for 112 yards. In how many of those third downs were picked up by Sam Howell just taken off and running. And I, I look at I look at North Carolina's season so far, right? And I, I think of the opener with Virginia Tech. And the reason why Virginia Tech had so much success on defense is because they were able to keep Sam Howell in the pocket and get a pass rush. Mm-hmm. Right. Georgia State last week, Sam Howell ran all over he threw all over him, but he ran all over him too because they weren't able to keep him in the pocket. UVA has athletes on defense similar to Virginia Tech's and couldn't keep Sam Howell in the pocket. Mm-hmm. And I just really wonder when teams are just going to look at the film from the opener and say, you know what? Carolina has a lot of trouble moving the ball offensively when Sam Howell can't get creative outside of the pocket. Mm-hmm. And Virginia did not spy Howell. And Howell's not a running quarterback, Joey, but he can hurt you with his legs. And he did that here in this game. Howell's legs, I think, and, and look, 14 to 21, 307, five touchdowns. I mean, they won the game because he threw five touchdown passes. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the way that he ran the football and kept plays alive on some crucial drives in this football game, that is a huge reason why Virginia lost this football game. It's because it of Howell's running ability. Uh, Mike, the other huge reason that Virginia lost this football game. Hello, Ty Chandler. 20 carries for 198 yards and two scores. There he is. Yeah. Couple, a couple of rough first two weeks there for Mr. Chandler on the uh, on the Tar Heel offense. Uh, he got it going, got it going last night. So uh, credit to him and, and and to North Carolina. That was the thing is that North Carolina and, and Sam Howell completes fourteen passes for three hundred and seven yards and five scores. Like that's that's pretty good. But remember they they racked up almost seven hundred yards of offense. That's because they ran for close to four hundred yards in this game. Yeah, this yeah, was the- nuts really impressive running game by Carolina in this game, something they didn't have in the first two games of the year. Even going back to the Georgia State game last weekend, we were like, you know what? Ty Chandler still hasn't really gotten it going. What's going on there? Mm-hmm. And a lot of credit goes to North Carolina's offense for figuring that out. I, I'm a bit concerned. So uh, back on the Virginia side real quick. Um, Brennan Armstrong has been outstanding this year. Now, again, they played William & Mary in Illinois and then yeah, you play Carolina, which is a good opponent, and you put up 554 yards and four touchdowns. Armstrong's been really, really good. Dude, he made some throws in this game. Yes. My Ball goodness. player. Yes. Absolute gamer. Um, so I'm not concerned about UVA with Brennan Armstrong playing quarterback. What I'm concerned about is that they can't run the ball at all outside of Armstrong. And, again, they're not going to be facing many offenses like North Carolina's this year. But when I look at what happened to them defensively, and again, UVA runs a 3-3-5 defense. A 3-3-5 defense is not very good at stopping the run. Um, 
I, a lot of free running lanes. You got an extra DB on the field. Carolina took advantage of that with 200, almost 200 yards with their running back and 112 with Howell, right? Caleb Hood had 66 yards. Like they gashed the 335, and they weren't able to keep Howell in the pocket. I wonder if teams are going to look at this film and say, you know what? Against UVA's scheme, can we figure out a way to run this football? And can UVA stop it for four quarters? And again, won't be faced on a lot of offenses like they just faced with the firepower and, and ceiling that North Carolina has. But I do worry about Virginia's defense and then on their offense side of the football, being able to run the ball consistently. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's the question with UVA moving forward. With North Carolina, the question is, how do you build off of this? Right. Mm-hmm. And offensively, this is a this is a great start. This is exactly what what a lot of people were thinking they could do from the jump against Virginia Tech. Right. And they weren't really able to do it. This is the Carolina offense. I think people were were coming to expect. They got some things to clean up defensively, though. Still, Joey, it's been a little bit up and down on defense. They've they've had some good moments. They've had some bad moments. Um, and, and offensively, it's been the same way. Can North Carolina put it together for four quarters now, moving forward as they go throughout ACC play? Yeah. Well, and and once again, who's the real North Carolina? Right. Because yeah. this was a drastically different team than the one I saw in Blacksburg two weeks ago. And in particular, I was going to point out, especially North Carolina's offensive line, they looked way more physical and willing to actually take it to Virginia's defense than yep. they were two weeks ago against Virginia Tech's defense. Like, they were getting right. pushed around and looked soft and awful. And another question that we're going to have moving forward is, what does this say more about? North Carolina's offensive line improving or Virginia's defensive line being really not all that good? You, you we're can't, going to you figure that forget. out. Football is a zero-sum game. That's right. We have a lot of questions and not a lot of answers still. Yeah. It, it, we, uh, yeah. And we've seen from several of these teams, again, we've seen widely varied performances over yep. three weeks. So we're, we're kind of in this dangerous spot in the schedule trying to decide who is what because we have li- some data points, but there's a lot of range between them, we'll say. So, yes, I, I would agree. I don't know what's real. Anyways. Let's keep moving here, Mike. North Carolina, 59. Virginia, 39. By the way, Virginia damn near got me to cover that teaser. They had the ball <laughs> in the red zone as Horrible time beat. expired. Yeah, that's, that sucked. Oh, well. Wake Forest, 35. Florida State, 14. Um, Mike, frankly, I don't have a ton on this game. I, I tried to watch some of it while Georgia Tech was in a lightning delay. I, I mean... Wake Forest went out there and beat Florida State. You know they they outgained them and and largely gave Florida State issues. On, you know with their defense and all that stuff. I, I this is kind of what we expected to happen. My biggest question here is, it, if, what are we doing with Florida State? Is Florida State dead at this point? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. They're done. We're, I'm I'm out on Florida State, Joey. We're done. We're done. And you know what? As a podcast, we're done. I'm not going to let you go down and say, okay, yeah, Florida State's going to... No, no, we're done. We're done with Florida State. You're done with Florida State. I'm deciding for you. This is rehab. (laughs) We're done with Florida State. Okay? We're done with them. I appreciate you uh, watching out for for my my well-being here, Mike. Yep. Do not, not, under any circumstance, let me pick Florida State. No. No. I'm not sure that Florida State's going to win three football games this season. Yeah. Can you believe that? And, you know, we're talking about varying levels of consistency and, and varying performances over three weeks. Joey, it's not that long ago where we were talking about this Florida State team, their performance on a Sunday night, the day before Labor Day, and what they were able to do against Notre Dame. Didn't win that game, but 
Now Florida State loses that one. They lose an FCS game, and they lose by three scores to Wake Forest on the road. And this team is now 0-3, and I think they have some quit in them, Joey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they definitely do. Once again, teams that like we've gotten some very different data points on. I mean, the way that again, the way that they looked on Labor Day night or uh, that Sunday night against Notre Dame, and I mean that that game at this point is kind of reeking of the uh, 2016 Texas Notre Dame game. You know, Texas is back and and all yep. that that went into oh, yeah. overtime and. And we're like, thought we were watching two playoff contenders, and it turns out Texas was like six and six, and Notre Dame was like four and eight that year. Like yep. neither of them was any yep. good. Yep. I kind of think that might be what we watched there on that Sunday night here a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And I mean, Mackenzie Milton in this game for Florida State, eleven of sixteen, one nineteen, and two picks. He got benched. Jordan Travis, five of six, one oh seven, two touchdowns and a pick. Meh. I mean. I don't know what the what the answer is at quarterback there. Like no, and neither do they. Um, Mackenzie Milton with a two point three QBR. <laughs> is that good? I mean, buddy, buddy. He Not almost had, he almost had more interceptions than QBR points. Christ, <laughs> you're not wrong. Um, th- this game played out exactly how I thought it would. Quite honestly, I mean, Wake Forest was just better in all three phases, and they were better coached, and they won by three touchdowns at home. I couldn't believe this. I mean, this was the easiest lock of all time. It's it's getting to the point, Mike, where it's so bad that we have uh, ladies who are fans of Florida State on Twitter reaching mm. out to the young ladies of the Florida State community, recommending that they no longer have relations with uh, <laughs> with members of the Florida State football team to see if we can get them motivated. Stop having sex with football players <laughs> is what they said. <laughs> what a sport. Um, Florida State's schedule now, they got Louisville at home. This Saturday, October 2nd, they got Syracuse, and they're on the road at UNC. Joey, how many of those three next three games does Florida State win? Uh, I kind, I, I'm not allowed to pick Florida State, right? Is this practice? Is this a test? I'll give You're you a pass. Me? I'll give you a passer. I kind of feel like they still might could split Louisville and Syracuse. They should. They better. I mean, you get them both at home. Syracuse isn't particularly good. Like, Syracuse is the second closest thing you have to a layup left on this schedule. Is Syracuse better than Jacksonville State? Uh, I think. I think. Hmm. But I don't. Yeah, you're. It's a valid point. Is like I don't know what's what's what to believe or what's real at this point. So I don't know. Yeah, this is, and that's the point. Is that. Here, you know, in this this late part of September and early October is kind of supposed to be one of the easier parts of Florida State's schedule. Yeah. And they're winless. Yeah, they're winless. And, I mean, Louisville Saturday, then Syracuse, then you're on the road at UNC. Then you have a home game against UMass, which they should win. Even Florida State should win that game. (laughs) Yes. And then you're at Clemson, home against NC State, home against Miami, at BC, at Florida, in the Swamp. I mean, you're, you might not win any of those last five. It is just astounding, Mike, to think. Think of if, if we, you know, when we started this podcast back in 2016, that we were going to have a conversation that was going to go, even Florida State should be able to beat UMass. We were 24 months removed from a national championship at Florida State at that point. 
Yeah, and they I think they almost beat Clemson that year, and that was the year they went to the Orange Bowl. And I mean, it's just it continues to astound me how far they've fallen. Even Florida State should beat UMass. No, Unbelievable. No, no kidding. By seventy. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. There's we we clipped the end of that. Right. No. Right. Yeah. Unreal. Just more points. Wake Forest 35, Florida State 14. Moving on, Mike. Duke 30, Northwestern 23. Duke bows Turnover up luck. and wins this game. Credit to the Blue Devils. Scored Turnover 30 luck. points. Hey, they, they led the whole way. They were up 30 Turnover to 7 luck. at halftime. Good stuff. I'm really proud of how the Blue Devils played in this game. Hunter Johnson was 6 of 16 for 75 yards and three interceptions. He was replaced by noted insurance salesman Andrew Martin. <laughs> 11 of 16 for 151 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Joey, Hunter Johnson, 2.3 QBR. That's not good, I don't think. He's basically, he's basically cousins with Mackenzie Milton who couldn't play college football for two and a half years. Except Hunter Johnson did have more interceptions than QBR points. Hunter Johnson is worse than a quarterback who literally almost had his leg amputated. <laughs> I mean, when you put it that way, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Northwestern. Northwestern is a mass, Joey. Mike, you make a good point um, on that and other things. Here's Northwestern's drive chart in the first half. Oh, God. Punt, punt, fumble, interception, interception, punt, interception, touchdown. The problem is, Mike, by the time they scored that touchdown, they were down 27 to nothing. Yeah. Like, and, and you didn't make it even all that hard on Duke. Like, Duke did have a couple of really nice drives. Uh, th- their first two drives, four plays, 60 yards, touchdowns, five plays, 70 yards, touchdown. That's, I think that's better than anything we've seen from Duke this year and maybe last year. Like, that is yeah. a really strong start. And then Duke has a 31-yard touchdown drive. And, like, just – man. Yeah, I don't know. If you play this game ten times, I don't know that Duke wins five of them, but they won this one. And you know what? Don't they wish it. they played Northwestern five times. <laughs> that might ten work times, out. whatever. Might work out for all involved. Um, yeah. Gunnar Holmberg, I will say this. He made a couple of throws in this game. He was he was kind of impressive. I think this is one of the better showings we've seen from him. 31 of 44 for 314, a touchdown and a Definitely. pick. Definitely. Mateo Durant was was good in spots. 22 carries for 102 yards and a touchdown. Um, had a couple of big runs and big plays. But that was really the story, Mike, was that Northwestern turned the ball over four times in the first half. Duke racks up 30 points off those, you know, not entirely off those turnovers, but – somewhat on the backs of them. And then Northwestern scored the final 23 points of the game or uh, not entirely. They, they shut out Duke in the second half. We'll say that. Right. Um, So Duke holds on, but ends up being a a one score win, but Hey, a win is a win. So credit to Duke for that. They're two and one. Yeah. Duke's defense, I think was a little bit confused because they're used to having Hunter Johnson type quarterback on their sideline, throwing Mm -hmm. it to the other team. Yeah. They were caught and, off guard. Wait, why, why are you giving it to us? Yeah. Like, wait a minute. Aren't, isn't this the thing we're good at? <laughs> what? Duke 30, Northwestern 23. Keep moving here, Mike. Boston College 23, Temple, sorry, 28, Temple 3. Uh, and you might be saying, well, seems like everything is perfectly hunky-dory with Dennis Grossel, Grossel as a quarterback <laughs> for Boston College. Mike, Dennis Grossel goes 5 of 13 for 34 yards, a touchdown and interception in this game. Is that good? It's really, really putrid. It's 
That's not good at all. Still had a higher QBR than Hunter Johnson, though. <laughs> and Mackenzie Milton, of course, for well, that matter. So did, ACC. I. so did I. Yes. Yes. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, Boston College gets out to a 21 nothing lead at halftime here. Uh, and then just, I mean, kind of – Temple could never do a whole lot of anything on offense. They're bad. They're really not very good at all. Um, not not a good team and, and not going to cause a lot of problems. Temple, it didn't help themselves either. 11 penalties for 66 yards. Um, that's a lot of penalties, a lot of drive-killing things. Bad teams do that. Yeah, this was a this was a, honestly this was not a good showing from Boston College. They won and it wasn't close on the scoreboard, but they they did not look particularly great doing it. They were two for eight on third downs. Um, you know, they they were minus one in turnovers. Like, you can get away with this uh, against a Temple team that is really not very effective at all on offense. But um, you know, well, I, I don't know how much that's going to work moving forward if if you keep rolling that out. Yeah, I mean, BC's front seven just murdered Temple. They had four sacks, six tackles for loss. I mean, uh, this is a really bad Temple team. Yep. And BC did what they were supposed to do as a two-touchdown favorite against a really bad team. They won. They covered. Um, they have some questions moving forward. The offense is not going to be nearly as good. We knew that. But a little bit concerning. A yep. little bit concerning. Yep. I, I mean, I... We knew the offense was not going to be as good, Joey, but this was uh, against Temple. Come on, we, we gotta we gotta do better than five of thirteen for thirty-four yards, right? I mean, mm-hmm. come on, we we gotta do better than sixteen carries for forty-nine yards, Pat Garwo. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, come on, guys. If if that's what you're doing against Temple, it's going to get real rough here in conference play very yeah. soon. I so. think BC's in trouble, Joey. I think BC's in trouble. They're three and zero. Good for them. I think they're in trouble. What are the odds that they don't make a bowl game at this point? Well, let's take a look at the schedule, shall we? They have Missouri at noon on Saturday. That's a loss at Clemson. That's a loss home against NC State. Probably a loss at Louisville. Probably a loss. So now you're three and four. Right. At Syracuse. I mean, I would... I would say lean BC, but you're on the road. I mean, I think BC is better than Syracuse. Syracuse but, might might be putting a little bit of something together. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, might be. And then BC go. Uh, yeah, BC's got a home game against Virginia Tech. Probably a loss at Georgia Tech. Probably a loss yeah, if we get to Georgia Tech. We just saw home against Florida State. Anybody's guess <laughs> against Wake Forest, probably a loss. So those were a, there were a lot of games there that were very winnable when Phil Dracovic was your quarterback. Mm-hmm. Not so sure now. If you can find a way, some way, somehow to get him back, it might change the outlook. But other than that, I'm not I'm not convinced that there's three more wins on the schedule for Boston College. Nope. So. We'll see. That ends up being a really impactful injury, not only for them, but for the conference at large. So the way, the way, to, the way to do it is to get a flat Louisville, a flat Syracuse, a flat Virginia Tech, a flat Georgia Tech, a flat uh, just a normal Florida State. <laughs> just Florida State. Yeah. <laughs> just Florida State. <laughs> Boston College. I just rattled those off just to get I just had to rattle those off just to get to Florida State. There you go. There you go. Boston College twenty eight, Temple three. Uh Syracuse sixty two, Albany twenty four. 
NC State 45, Furman 7. Uh, Mike, I, anything on either of these? I, I'll be very honest. I didn't watch a minute of them. Uh, Syracuse continues to run the football well with John Tucker. Now, again, it's against bad competition. The Albany Great well. Danes. Yes, the Great Danes. <laughs> yep. You beat them by a million. So, good job. NC State, nice little tune-up. Way to put 45 on Furman. Get that over quickly. It was 38 nothing at halftime. Get your guys rested for Clemson. Yeah, get in, get out. Just, yeah, not to yeah. win and don't get anybody hurt and move on. So Damn night was good. He had 11 for 104. Yep, yeah. Um, so, good showing from both of those teams. I Syracuse is, like, two out of three games so far have been pretty good from them. Yeah. The, the other one, not so good. And once again, I don't know which one's the real Syracuse. And I have a bad feeling it's that team we saw against Rutgers last week and not the team that beat Ohio or beat Albany. Home game against Liberty in four days on Friday night. So that's going to teach us some weird. things too. Yeah, let's get weird, shall we? To be sure, to be sure. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Actually, no, that's not true. I got one more game here, Mike. The Bowling Green Falcons. <laughs> 27, Murray State, 10. Mike, Bowling Green breaks the streak. A 10-game losing streak is now over. The Eagles are in – sorry, the Falcons are in the win column. Let's go Bowling Green. I'll figure out the mascot one day. Oh, man. Matt McDonald had a farm. 22 of 28. (laughs) 221 yards, a touchdown, and interception. Bowling Green wins the football game. They forced two turnovers of Murray State quarterback Preston Rice. That proved to be the difference mm-hmm. in this football game that we both definitely watched. Absolutely. Every minute. Every minute. Um, Mike, that's all I've got on games. Do you want to give out some awards here? Let's do it. We didn't, we didn't plan prep these. these. No. Nope. We didn't prep these at all, so we're just going to do it off the cuff. It's going to go great. Uh, Mike, the GoACC moment of the week, I'm going to be real honest. I, I struggled to think of anything in particular from an ACC game. You got one? I got one. Okay. I got one. Uh, Virginia Tech was trying to score before halftime. This mm-hmm. is the part where, like, a few plays before they missed the field goal. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of this weird sequence where West Virginia called three, t- three different timeouts before halftime there while Virginia Tech was inside the 10-yard line trying to score on mm-hmm. goal-to-go mm-hmm. situations where West Virginia was trying to figure out what Virginia Tech's formation was and what they were lining up in. So West Virginia kept calling timeouts. West Virginia calls three consecutive timeouts, Joey. And then Virginia Tech, what do they do? They commit a false start penalty right out of a timeout. (laughs) I love it. Go ACC to that. Go ACC to that. There is nothing better than... Yeah, I mean, that was... There was a little... the The only, only thing I had to complain about in the Georgia Tech game was... They had almost identical situations at the end of the first half and the end of the second half where they had third and goal inside the 10-yard the line, and they had to call timeouts because they couldn't get the play call in. They didn't break the huddle in time. Yeah, like that was n- not that like they got the look they didn't like from Clemson's defense or anything like that. It was just they stood around waiting to call the play until there was like 10 seconds left in the play, co- play clock, and at that point, y- you know, <laughs> you're kind of cooked. Yeah, so, absolutely. So to procedural nonsense from ACC teams, go ACC to that for sure. 
Uh, Mike, I feel like the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award this week goes to Pittsburgh and Miami against out-of-conference oh, competition. God. Good Lord. Get it together, ACC teams in general. Just terrible. Just <sighs> the Miami game, if you squint, you can excuse it a little bit because at least Michigan State might be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, you, you're not supposed to lose like that. Nope. So, and nope. and Pitt, you're you're definitely not supposed to lose to Western Michigan. Come on. Definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's Miami is favored and gets blown the hell out at home. Pittsburgh yeah. favored by a lot and loses at home. Uh, and just yeah, not not good. Honorable for mention. Those. Honorable mention is Virginia Tech and their red zone trials and tribulations. Oh so. yeah. Gosh, was it four red zone trips combined for? No points or no yeah. points. I mean, that's no gross. Points. In a game you lost by six, like yeah, ugh. As bad as Virginia Tech played, they could have won this game by multiple scores. Think about how disheartening that is. Yeah, that's 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 a tough pill to swallow. And that's they could have played like they could have played like absolute piss and won by three scores probably with with the red zone opportunities they gave up and just absolutely squandered. It's terrible. Yep. Yep. Uh, Mike, the Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week <laughs> Award. I I feel like Pittsburgh's running backs need to be like retired from this award. Yes, I mean yeah. I, I, we've seen enough of that. Do we go with DJU? I mean DJU. Speaking of horribly candidate. inefficient. Yeah, um, strong candidate. I this is kind of going against the spirit of the award. I mean. This this in particular is not. Virginia had 22 carries as a team. This is not sack adjusted. 22 carries as a team for 24 yards and a touchdown. This goes a little bit against the spirit of the award, but I feel like there has to be some sort of like honorary mention for Wayne Tulapapa somehow having two carries for negative two yards but still scoring a and touchdown. A, and a touchdown. <laughs> and a touchdown. Like, I don't know what award that is, but it's special and he earned it. I was going to say, speaking of people that might need to be retired from this award, Wayne Tulapapa. Yeah. Yeah, maybe just retire from football. <laughs> Remember last year when uh, when we really thought we saw a, a, an impressive burst from him that we hadn't seen before? Yeah. Where did that go? It it <laughs> where did it go? It's in quarantine. It went bye bye after like game three of last year. <laughs> yeah. Good grief. Uh Mike, ACC player of the week. It's a pretty gutsy effort from Malik Cunningham from Louisville on, on Friday night. I like that pick. I'm going to go with Ty Chandler. You had 20 carries, 198, a couple scores. I, I like mean, it. he oh. was really, really good. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, he was good. And it was a big breakout for him. He struggled the first couple weeks. Yep. Um, team of the week, I, I definitely lean Louisville there. I mean, pulling off yep. a big out-of-conference win like that and in the fashion that they did, uh, that was a big deal. And then, I mean, maybe a little bit UNC with the way that they – kind of reasserted themselves in the coastal. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to go with North Carolina for mine. Um, just, you know, I came away really impressed with the Tar Heels. thought they were very good. Yeah. Yeah. Good performances from both of those teams, Louisville and North Carolina. Um, yeah. Honorable get- mention goes to former ACC or Kenneth Walker, the third from Michigan state. Yeah. Completely forest running back. Com- yeah. Completely omitted the, uh, the whole thing where he transferred from wake forest. Um, yeah. Sounds like he he felt like he deserved some more touches and some more attention there in, in Winston Salem, and it turns out he was right. 
Yep. Not wrong. <laughs> All right. Mike, we've been going for like almost an hour and 40 minutes here. Um, Love it. That's all I've got. Do you have anything else on week three? What a recap. It, yeah. Well, like we said, we had a lot to talk about, and we yes, covered we a did. lot. And uh, there, there was a lot of very meaningful action this weekend. So it was, it was a good recap. It was a good weekend of football. I hope everyone got to sit around and, and watch it and, and get caught up on it. And if not, you know, some of those condensed games and such on YouTube, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, see all the important action. Highly recommend those, so go check those out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're not going to be doing much work tomorrow anyway, everybody. So just Yeah. It's football season, yeah. Mike. Nobody's working. Yeah, watch some games. We're like, you know, wiggling the mouse every four or five minutes to try to make sure you still show the uh, the active status on your chat, chat bot, but, you know. <laughs> on Microsoft Teams, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Work. That's, that's, work is a myth. Mike, let's get out of here. Um, we're going to come back and preview week four, which, again – it only gets more interesting in the ACC from here. So please keep it tuned here. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SOS together. We're at BC podcast ACC. You can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, the longest email address, known to man basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes on Spotify, anywhere you can go find your podcast and you know, podcasts in general, go find us there. Uh, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. Also on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Do it for the gram, please. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? No, I think we're good. We'll be back to preview some interesting games here for week four. Definitely another interesting slate of games coming up next weekend, so keep it tuned here. Mike, uh, have a good start to your week, and we will talk soon and preview those week four games. Yep. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Shoot him, shoot him, shoot him.